Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Before we get started on today's episode, we just wanted to let you know how you could work with Made by Mamas as a partner. If you listen to the podcast regularly, you'll hear that we love working with brands that we're really passionate about. And that could be talking about a brand's fantastic products on the podcast to someone listening right now like you, giving a shout out on socials or even hosting an event for you. If you're listening and you'd like to hear a bit more about how we partner with brands and how we could potentially work together, we would love to chat. Send us an email to mbm at insanity hq.com that email address is also in the podcast description too we can't wait to hear from you now let's get started on today's podcast hello and welcome to made by mamas the podcast i'm zoe and i'm georgia and we're here talking all things parenthood you know the real conversations tips and tricks products we love and brands we can't live without let's get into it right come on then hands in the air (laughs) <laughs> Who's got a hangover? Me. What? <laughs> Who even are you? I don't, you know what? It really doesn't suit me either. <laughs> I've had like two weeks, like two solid weeks, I'd say, of like a lot of drinking. Mm. And I've got to today and I just, just, I'm just not myself. I, I, this is not my thing. I don't like it. I feel disgusting. Well, you should be ashamed of you. No, you shouldn't. <laughs> Where did you go? Well, yesterday I went to the Rocker Brunch at Canary Ooh. Wharf, which is Lovely. Although I felt like an absolute granny. We actually, it was just me and a friend because we got there and it was so loud. We actually asked to move. And then we asked to move and got obviously walked past this table and they're having like a big birthday party or whatever. And I was suddenly like, oh my God, I just asked to move in a restaurant because it was too loud. You need, that's what you should be ashamed of. What the hell is going on? What am I doing with my life? Um, so, but anyway, it was really nice when we moved. Um, and then we went to watch Robbie Williams. And that oh, was really fun on. as well. I know, it was really nice. Did he play really all nice. the back catalogue? Rock DJ? Yeah, all of yeah. All the faves. I think there's only one song I didn't know. Um, and I think that's like a new one or something. But yeah, it, yeah he's a real like he's a really good performer. Like he's a proper entertainer, isn't he? Um, yeah, it was great. Obviously, seeing him and like watching him, you know, perform on stage. Were you sort of looking at him and thinking, "We know what you did to your wife on the first date. You stood <laughs> yeah. her up." Because we've obviously had Ida Field on the podcast. Yeah, exactly. I was sitting there thinking that, and he spoke about her a lot as well. And I was thinking, "Well, I know her, but I mean, obviously, I don't. We've interviewed her once, but you know, when you feel like you do." The last time I interviewed Robbie Williams, he was naked. Yes, I remember. In you the said. south of France, in bed, and I was doing it with Jamie and. Um, 
Jamie opened with, hang on a minute, are you naked? And then he panned the camera down. And I went, God, no. Like, it was like a really weird reaction from me because under normal circumstances, I would have been like, go on then, put your money where your mouth is. But um, <laughs> but no, thankfully kept it, you know, above the duvet cover. Um, but yeah, anyway, we want to get Robbie on the podcast. Anyone going to hook us up? Then yes. please, please do. Although know. we're going to be fine. We've got connections now, so haven't we? You've, you've interviewed him. <laughs> He's basically been naked. We've interviewed I'd, I've been to the concert. We basically know him. We're now. best friends. How are you anyway? I'm really good. It's uh, We're recording this on World Mental Health Day. And I purposefully this morning got up with um, maybe like a different frame of mind. Sometimes I find it quite heavy on a Monday because I'm quite tired. Yeah. You know, obviously, I, I work during the week and then I'm working the weekends. And Monday mornings can be a little bit foggy. But this morning I was like, no, the sun's come out. I went and did spin. I've like had a green juice. Um you know, had a quickie yesterday, just like all the good things, tick, tick, tick. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. I'm feeling good. Yeah, no, I do know what you mean. I'm, I've not woken up with that frame of mind today. Well, that's because you had too much to drink. It's not good. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it is, it's nice. And I think, I think sometimes you can get so sort of, you know, what, bogged down at the weekends with endless, you know, kids parties and clubs to get Mm -hmm. them to. And you just get to the end of the day on Sunday night and you just think, oh my God, I'm absolutely shattered. And then it all starts over again. We had a really nice roast yesterday. We had Max round. um, He's been on the podcast, Max Rogers and his three kids. I cooked, I cooked, I made a sauce. I made a cheese sauce from scratch. Wow. Flour in it and everything. (laughs) Well, I would wonder how it would come out if you didn't. Oh, yeah. But I mean, I'm proud of you. Sounds like a new Zoe this morning. I'm a bit worried. And gravy without Bisto in it. I don't do that. Shit the bed, put Zoe on. What is going on? (laughs) It's book 2023. I can see it now. It's It's coming, coming. it's coming. (laughs) Um, Now, aside from being... um, Uh, World Mental Health Day today. October, of course, is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. So we're moving on to much more serious conversation now. We really wanted to try and sort of drum up a bit of conversation around it, raise awareness and, and really kind of talk to you know, people who've been through it, um, you know, Georgia and I haven't had any experience with it. We obviously do our mm. checks. We have conversations together and stuff, but we really wanted some some incredible women to come on the podcast today to give us their experience, their firsthand experience, very sadly, with breast cancer. And it was Wow, what a conversation. I've got to be honest, it one of my favourites. Yeah, same. I think when you're sitting down talking to somebody, and it's quite, you know, both of them, they've only just, you know, will be talking about it, having been through all their treatment and that kind of stuff. In the last couple really, of years or something. Yeah, it really hits home, I think, especially when... Y- they almost have like a mirror life to us in some ways, mm. you know, mm. that they've got some sort of presence online. They met each other in this like mum community, mm. parenting Same age space. As us. Yeah, exactly. Like very similar age, similar age children. I think it, it's so easy to just think oh, it will never happen to me. It will never happen to me. And like to put those thoughts just out of your head. Mm. But when you sit and actually hear these stories of women who probably feel exactly the same as we do, and you know, Mm. they just don't ever want to think about it. Mm. It really, really hits home. Mm. Um, And actually, like the end of the podcast, we asked them like about, you know, to reflect on what they've learned. And I'm not going to obviously tell you guys what they said, but it was a really special thing and I have actually yeah Mm. I've really tried to you know when I've been getting bogged down with certain things going on and feeling really busy and overwhelmed I have tried to keep that in mind Mm. um 
so yeah absolutely one of my favorites as well and also before we get into the conversation georgia and i really want to send the biggest thank you and so much love to these two incredible women for being so honest Mm. they gave us a step-by-step um story you know the real story about how it happened um Mm. and you know just discovering the lumps and and so on and so on so we just want to say thank you because that couldn't have been easy it is emotional you know I I guess we put a bit of a trigger warning here because you know it's a big conversation to have but really we want you to stick around for this chat because if it helps you know just one person since Mm. we've had that chat I've checked my boobs about three or four times and it was only a week ago so Yeah. yeah check 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 and um and please have a listen to today's podcast georgia who are we talking to we are chatting to the incredible carly mooster and joanna riding Welcome to Tuesday's episode of the podcast. Um, as you know, Georgia and I absolutely love and adore reading your DMs. Uh, sometimes they really stick in our mind and we can't get the message out of it. Uh, and we really feel the need to do something about it. And the two ladies that are joining us on the podcast today sent us uh, a direct message on Instagram uh, telling us their story around breast cancer. I've already got goosebumps, actually. Um, obviously, October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month and we felt like we really needed somebody to come on, talk to us about their story, highlight the signs and symptoms, diagnose treatment, everything around it, how they feel. We need to say a massive hello, a big round of applause to our two amazing guests today. We've got Anna Riding and Carly Mosa, a pair of legends. Yeah. How are you both today? Yeah, good. Thank you. Good. Because obviously there's two voices on this podcast, so it might be worth you just each introducing yourselves and just telling us a little bit about you, how you met. Carly, if you want to go first. I'm Carly and I'm 40 now. Um, My husband and I run Keep Them Quiet Together, well, mainly him, but we co-founded it together. Um, and now I've trained as a wellness coach post-diagnosis. So um, okay. Joe and I met years ago, didn't we? Kind of at events. Um, we both kind of were in the, I guess, parenting market with our businesses. And we would go to events and we got on really, really well and used to hang out together loads. And then I got my breast cancer diagnosis. And six months later, Joe did. So we've kind of Wow. Sorted each other through both of those things now. Just tell us, would you just talk to us, you know, how it all happened for you, um, where you were, how you discovered it, why you went to the doctor? Okay. So, um, so my mum died of breast cancer um, and her mum did too. So breast cancer was always something I was aware of. Um, my older sister, we don't share the same mum, was diagnosed with ovarian cancer five months before my diagnosis. And through her, through her diagnosis, she was 43 at the time, they tested her for the gene, the BRCA1 gene mutation, yeah. um, and she came back and had it. Now, because this is on my dad's side, it had gone unrecognized. I was going to get tested, but obviously my diagnosis came five months after hers. Um, I was on a chemo ward with her. And I felt a lump, a swelling under my armpit. At first, it was painful. And I'd worked out that morning. So I thought, oh, what is that? Like, and kind of went and felt it and felt the hugest swelling, like a golf ball almost. Oh, God. And I just like, my heart kind of sunk. But I was like, oh, typical. I would find a a swelling on a chemo ward. And I knew that swellings could be a sign of breast cancer because of the work Copperfield do. So um, because of their awareness and education, I was aware that it could be something. But in my head, I was like, it hurts. It's not going to be anything. That was kind of what I was telling myself. But they, um, my si- I told my sister who got her nurse to feel it and said, look, because of your history, I would just say, go and get it checked out. So I went to the GP that day. They managed to fit me in. They um, said to go for an ultrasound. And I went the following week and basically 
yeah, it all kind of went from there. And I found out in Brent Cross of all places, my doctor was so sure. And he was so sure, I think, that it would be nothing from the ultrasound. He said, look, something has showed up, but it looks like what could be like a cyst in so many women of your age. Um, But because they biopsied, sent me for an MRI, you know, did all the precautions because of this BRCA history and my mum's history, um, he had to call and tell me over the phone, which is, yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. That was how it all started. (sighs) And Joe, I wonder if you want to tell us a little bit about you and your story as well. And then we can, I guess, go from there. Yeah. Yeah. So like Carly said, I used to run my own um, online nursery interiors business. um, And that's how Carly and I met by going to all these events together and things. Um, And then, yeah, when I got my diagnosis, Carly was one of the first people that I told because I knew she would just get it. She just knew how I would be feeling in that moment. Um, My diagnosis is slightly different to Carly's. Um, It was a much slower process, mostly because I had a feeling in my breast, which is not something that's really ever reported as being a symptom. And I used to get, I don't know if either of you breastfed your children, but I used to get a feeling and it would wake me up in the night and it felt like let that let down feeling when you're breastfeeding. Yes, and I'd wake okay. up and I'd think, oh, maybe I was dreaming about breastfeeding. That's weird. Um, and it happened a few times and it just sort of prompted me to um, examine myself slightly. And I thought that there might be something there, but I wasn't really sure it was a bit vague and when I touched the other breast I was like actually they kind of feel the same so I didn't do anything when you say a feeling was it like a pain no it was just like a sensation okay like it's, it's almost like that ting like I don't want to say tingle but yeah like what yeah when you it felt like I looked when your milk down comes in. Expect, yeah it, I looked down expecting to see like Right. that some milk had come out that's how it okay. felt okay okay you know I've said that to my consultant since and they're like yeah it's weird sometimes that's just how it presents and so I didn't really do anything about it for about well a long time like a month and then my best friend said to me oh I went for a mammogram the other day because I found a lump I was like why didn't you tell me oh my gosh but she was like it's fine it's just a cyst And then I said, you know what, actually, I've been having this weird feeling in my breast and I'm not sure if I can't feel something there. She was like, just get it checked out. And so I sat on it for another like two weeks. And then eventually my sister, I spoke to my sister and she was like, just call your GP. This is insane. But by this point, I'd been prodding so much that actually I did think there was something there and it was actually a little bit painful to touch because I'd just been constantly like, um, and my GP referred me to the breast clinic. It was during COVID. So I, she didn't, um, examine me. She just referred me to the clinic. And then 13 days later, I went in and by this point, you know, I did think, I did think that there was a lump there and I did think it felt quite big and, I honestly did think that it probably was cancer. Did you? Yeah, I did. And But when you go to these ones, it's called like a one-stop clinic. So you go and you see a doctor, they examine you. And then you, if you need to, they send you for a mammogram and then an ultrasound. And then if you need a biopsy, they do the biopsy while you're having the ultrasound. So she was like, oh yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah, let's go for the mammogram, go for the ultrasound. So we did that. And um, when I was having the ultrasound, they were like, right, we need to do a biopsy. And I was thinking, oh, God, this is getting a bit serious. Fine. Mm -hmm. And then this 
guy appears at the door and he's like, and he rushes in, grabs something and leaves. And they're like, oh, he's just taking the sample from the biopsy, just taking it upstairs to the lab to make sure there's enough to do a biopsy with. And at that point, I thought, there's just no way that they do this every single time. There's no way a guy runs down every single time. No. So I was just lying there going, oh, my God, this is happening. I was on my own at the hospital because it was COVID. Um, <sighs> God, it makes me emotional. Just no, me about it. So then um, I go back upstairs to the um, consultant and she says, um, yes, so it's showing something suspicious. Now, I'm a person that likes facts. And I said, but what does that really mean? Like, what is suspicious? Expecting her to say, come back in two weeks with the biopsy results. And she didn't. Mm. And she said, you've got breast cancer. Oh. Can you can you try and put into words for us? I mean, we can see because we can see your face right now, but those moments, um, how they felt, how you felt, when you're told that you've I'm got really breast sorry. cancer. I'm really sorry. Like, I really did not expect this to make oh, me so upset. no. I talk about it quite a lot and I'm quite open about it, but just saying it is like, oh. Mm. Um, but yes, I cried and they, the doctor looked at me like, oh, like this is unusual. <laughs> so she ran and got a nurse and that was fine. And then, and then I had to, my husband had been waiting for me to call. And so I had to call and tell him that I had breast cancer and then go and pay for the car park and drive myself home. It was very surreal. And what goes through your head, you know, you're on your own and you've got to go and drive home and you've just told you, what, what's going through your head as you're driving home? I'm thinking I'm going to die. Mm. Did, did you did you feel the same, Collie? Sorry, yeah, that got me got me too. <laughs> um, I did, I found out not in COVID. I did have treatment during COVID, but I was also by myself because I was so convinced that it was going to be nothing. So I went along by myself to have my ultrasound, and very quickly, you know, they were very quick on my right breast and really long on my left. So I was in again that feeling of you just know like, oh, this isn't good. Then suddenly it's mammogram biopsies. You do all the thoughts that go through your head. But the difference, I guess, was that my doctor was then saw me after all that and said, I really don't think it's anything. So I actually went out for dinner with girlfriends that night and didn't even tell them. I had, you know, I was all stitched up and I just didn't tell them that I'd even gone through any of it. So I think I just went into this denial. And my friends that I knew, knew I'd gone, some of my other friends and my husband, they were all panicked, but they didn't really let on to me. So when I found out and I had to drive home, I was in Brent Cross again. It's that driving home by yourself, and you've heard the yeah. words. You've just heard the words. Like it's just you can't, just can't describe that feeling. Like you just know that you've got to tell people something so awful. And for me, like my family, oh yeah, just having to break that news to people. Like, mm. and can I ask during the phone conversation with the doctor or, or the face to face uh, for you, Joe? Do they come up with a plan? then and there or do they say we're going to give you a call back in however long because yeah. it seemed like the train of events was quite fast moving up until that point so does it feel like time slows down then yeah time really slows down because they have to send your biopsy off to be tested to find out more about the cancer to find out what it reacts to what it doesn't react to um and you have to wait and so i chose i took i told a few close people, like obviously my husband, my sister, my, one of my best friends. Um, but I chose not to tell anybody else until I'd been in for that next appointment, which is the, the next appointment is generally when they'll tell you you've got breast cancer rather than it's quite unusual to be told you've got breast cancer, but then no other information about it. Right. Mm. 
Um, so when I went back like two weeks later, it was almost two weeks later. Um, that's when I found out like, you know, this is what size we think it is. This is the type of can- type of breast cancer that it is. And I felt then when I had the answers, because people would just want to ask the questions. Yeah. Yeah. So I wouldn't have been able to tell them anything. So at least by waiting for this, I could say, right, this is what we know. This is what the plan is going to be. Mm. What were those two weeks like? Um, awful. I kept a journal actually, and I read back over it last week and it's quite heartbreaking because you're just like, you just, you are, well, I'm generally a naturally positive person, but my head went to the worst place. And that's where I stayed for two weeks, really. Mm. Um, I kept busy because I've got three children and work and it, it, it didn't go as slowly as it could have, but yes, it was, it was hard. And there's lots of periods like that as well during the breast cancer journey where you are just waiting and that is hard. And I was going to say as well, having to parent through it. I mean, you know, we have sometimes have shit days, but I imagine those days were the shittest of the shit and you've also got to find the energy to parent to look after them to do the school drop-offs to do you know to try and keep because I, I imagine you didn't tell them at this point you didn't Carly at no. what point did you have yeah it's in again I think keeping a journal must have been so interesting to kind of look back on because you do just go into such a kind of it's just so surreal like you don't have all the information yet so you are trying to carry on especially with young children you're just putting on that smile and you don't have well I didn't have the conversation at that point it was I did till I knew what stage it was what treatment plan you know it was going to look like all of that stuff which does come later um so we had a fourth birthday party to throw throw for my daughter in fact the day after I was diagnosed was her birthday and thankfully one of my friends um threw a tea party because I just couldn't I just couldn't think like what we were going to do on this day. And I remember it was the school fair for their their school, the school Christmas fair. And I went along and I was just like, you just, you kind of just are like, wow, something so monumentally huge has just happened. But like, you're just in this weird, it's just the weirdest thing. And I just remember with my husband, like every night we'd go to sleep, like, you know, teary. And every morning you'd wake up being like, God, is this really happening? And it is that yeah. when people ask me like, you know, what do I do? I've just been diagnosed. The only thing I really say is like, this is the worst stage. This waiting, not knowing if it's going to be, if it's spread, if it's anywhere else in your body, all of that stuff, like you don't know what you're doing yet. But once you know, once you have the facts, no matter what those facts are, like something will kick in and you will start to feel like you can do this. But this waiting game is like, yeah, is is really hell. Is hell yeah. And how, how- do you go about explaining um, what's going on to your children? I guess like it depends like on ages and stuff like that. But yeah. h- how how do you have that conversation? For me, I have I have three children. My youngest had just turned two, so he had no concept of anything. Um, and my elder two um, were old enough, I felt, to understand, to be told something, that something was going on. And Carly actually was very helpful in this conversation. And she um, told me about this, uh, this way of explaining it to the children, which is what we did, which was that um, your body is made up of lots of different cells that are like Lego bricks. um, And all the time, constantly, they're changing and they're moving and they're building on top of each other. But for some people, if you're very unlucky, one of those Lego bricks would be a little bit wonky. And um, we have to get rid of that wonky Lego brick. 
And that will mean um, an operation. It might mean having some medicine that is going to make you feel poorly. But the end result is that the wonky Lego brick will be removed. Um, and I was lucky my children didn't really have an awareness of what cancer was at this point. So they didn't have any preconceptions of what that meant, um, which I think was good. Um, they took it in their stride. Like we sat them down and they talked, we talked to them about this and we explained the Lego brick analogy. And they were like, How yeah. old are they, Joe? They were five and six. Yeah, they were like, yeah, okay, okay. All right, can I have a snack? Yeah, yeah. Can I watch some telly? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. And you know, that's the way you want it to be, isn't it? Building up to that that conversation must have been awful. And then you got that response and did you just feel like, okay. <laughs> I really did. And we hadn't planned to have it then. We were like, when are we going to do it? When are we going to do it? And then hmm. there was just a moment where we were all five of us there and we were like, let's just do it now. So I wasn't particularly emotional about it. It hadn't been a big build up. And then they were like, yeah, can I have a snack? Yeah. Like, okay. Oh, yeah, yes. kids. You can always you can always trust on the kids to just bring yeah. it straight back to food. Um, Carly, let's come to you now. So tell us, uh, you've obviously you've had the quite long wait. I don't know how long it was for you, but then what are the next stages after that? So yes, yeah, so when I found out, so Joe and I have different. I think this is also important to as awareness mm-hmm. and stuff is that you get told you've got breast cancer, but there are so many different kind of subcategories of breast cancer to do with whether it's hormone fed, um, HER2 positive um, or not. And in which my case was, it was not hormone fed. So I had something called triple negative breast cancer, which is um, quite an aggressive form of breast cancer. And um, it's quite, it's often linked to having the BRCA1 gene mutation, which I obviously later on found I had. That takes time, but they obviously did the gene testing when I was diagnosed So I found out that probably about a week or so before Christmas, um, and I just remember begging my oncologist uh, to not start chemo before Christmas. My kids were four and six at the time, and I really just wanted to enjoy this time, right, (laughs) Um, before kind of it all went very odd. Um, And he was like, fine, two weeks isn't going to make a, you know, a huge difference. So for me, there was a bit of waiting at this time, but it was nowhere near as, as bad as the waiting to find out if it had spread. For me, it was contained to the lymph nodes and the breast. So, um, treatment was going to look like six months of chemotherapy, 12 weekly chemos followed by four every three weeks, um, of a different kind alongside immunotherapy. Um, and then, I had a double mastectomy and reconstruction with my tummy tissue. And again, bringing it to COVID, both Joe and I went through all of this, you know, a lot of it. For me, half of my chemos wasn't, but... Was this Christmas 2020? 2019, I was. 2019, okay. And then Joe, six months later. Okay, so right in the middle of... So you're literally just before lockdown. That was in the March. Okay. Yeah, so I remember going to my chemos. I had, um, so 16 in total, eight friends and family came with me too. And each time they'd be like, have you visited any of these countries? And I'd always laugh and be like, gosh, I come here every week. Like, no, I haven't been yeah. to yeah. China or anywhere else. And then, um, and then it was very quick to be like, wow, we're in lockdown. No one's allowed to come with you anymore. Um, and oh I, I think a lot about like Joe, for instance, who never got to have any treatments with anyone. I'm grateful that, you know, I did get that experience of going especially to my first my younger sister came with me um but yeah half of them were alone and I my my operation was quite a big operation I was in hospital for a week and that was 
that was on my own. Just because I'm very confused about that. Do they operate and then do the chemotherapy or do they do the chemotherapy and then operate? Again, this will completely vary according to your diagnosis. For me, because mine was aggressive, they throw chemo at it. So I had chemo first. Um, They want to reduce any of the cancer that may have, because the scans show up, obviously, cancer that is you can see, but there's microcells that maybe you can't that might have already gone to other areas of your body. So um, they want to throw the chemo at it with the hope that it's going to shrink or as, you know, shrink, shrink the shrink the cancer let's say the cancer cells like obliterate them um yeah and then I had my my surgery um and then depending on how that goes for some people you you either have maybe some more chemo after um for me they removed it and they were able to say that I had a complete pathological response at this point to my chemotherapy which was just the best news ever but I still had uh 15 rounds of radiotherapy to kind of they basically throw everything but the kitchen sink at it to kind of just go, look, here we go. And then I had immunotherapy up until February of 2021. So I finished all my treatment after 15, it was 15 months for me from start to finish. Yeah. We'll be right back after this short break. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back to this episode of Made by Mamas. Now, where were we? Just for those who don't know, what happens when you go for chemotherapy? Uh, so you go into the, the chemo unit is generally split into bays. So it's a room like a ward, basically. But instead of beds, there's chairs dotted around in like a U shape. Um, and the nurses come along and administer the chemo, depending, there's not just, you know, it's not just one bay for breast cancer. There's people having lots of different types of chemotherapy all within that one bay. Um, and, you know, like Carly said, I, I never, I was never able to take anybody with me, um, and nor, nor could any of the other people. So some people would be chatting to other people, you know, making small talk, 
I was not really one of those people. I just wanted to sort of head down, just crack on with it. Um, Carly and I both um, use something called a cold cap, which um, is an aim to stop you losing your hair. It's a special machine that pumps ice cold water that then freezes on your head. It's like a cap that you put on and you it gets stuck down to your head like this with incredibly tight straps. You look amazing. <laughs> it's a really strong look, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, it's so bad. It's got to be really firmly on your yeah. head. So it's like got to push this down and up. It's very uncomfortable. It makes your um, chemo session last longer because it has to stay on, has to be on in advance of the chemo um, starting. It's got to freeze your hair. Basically, the idea is that it freezes your hair follicles. Okay. So the chemo doesn't reach it, yeah. Yeah, so the chemo doesn't reach it. So um, that was that's very, very unpleasant. But um, my children were the biggest thing out of all of this. They were like, I just... I can't imagine what you're going to look like with no hair. Please Same. don't lose your hair. Same. So I had to try it. Um, and I honestly, I'm a bit of a wuss. And I thought, I'll try it. And I thought, I probably, it's not going to be for me. But I managed to persevere through the whole thing. And I think I lost about half, just over half of my hair. Right. Do you think that, do they think it would have been drastically, do they think you would have lost all your hair had you not? I'd have lost all, all of my hair, yeah. And what was the same for you, Carly? Yeah, so um, I think we, we had slightly differing chemos, but with breast cancer, majority of people, no matter what you have, you have something called like either EC or AC or um, FET, is it FEC? Um, and that is in the breast cancer community known as the red devil, which isn't the most helpful way yeah. to kind of refer to a, a chemotherapy, but um, it is a red syringe and they have to wear like full suits to administer it. Like this is, you know, really toxic, toxic stuff. Toxic. Toxic. And so your hair goes with that. You, you mentioned, Joe, that your children said you they really didn't want you to lose your hair. Was I guess was the decision to use that that cap purely because of them and how other people would treat you and perceive you? Um, it was mostly for them. I think probably if it hadn't have been, I probably would have been less reluctant because there's lots of horror stories out there about how awful it yeah. is. Um, and I probably wouldn't have given it a try. I always say, I don't know if you're the same, Joe, but I tried it for my kids. My little girl especially was like, please don't, please. She's only four, but she was like, please don't be a baldy head. Um, <laughs> I was oh. like, I will try not to be um but actually as it went along I because I had this the softer chemo it wasn't softer but the less harsh chemo first in my kind of protocol I kept a lot of my hair during those 12 weeks and actually when I had the um AC I lost after the first one like pretty much all of my hair I didn't retain as much I don't think as you joked did I it's like it, no. it came out like even though I was cold capping it was actually very, very painful for those last three times. And I realized that um, I was doing it a lot more for me, actually, because at that point I was like, wow, I didn't realize how much this was going to affect me. We, we've all seen those scenes maybe in movies of, you know, women having treatment and then having a shower and it, and yeah. it coming out. Is that an actual reality? Yeah, that's what it's like. Like, I remember being in the bath and I, I don't know why, my I was just so weak. I couldn't do anything. And my husband was washing my hair and he was being very gentle and and I heard him gasp and I looked down and on the side of the bath was just this massive pile of hair. And I was like, oh God. And at that point I thought the cold cap's not working, but then having further conversations with people, they were like, no, this is, 
that's still fine. You're still fine. So it would be such a major thing for me. Like I think that's why it's triggered something because yeah. for me that would just be, I don't know, you just feel like you're losing your femininity, maybe Amen. something in that moment of just, yeah. and then I don't know if either of you had to shave your heads. I know a couple of people in my life that, you know, that had to, but yeah, I just think for me that would be, and especially even seeing my husband's reaction to it, yeah. you know, you'd feel all of that. I, yeah. I ended up cutting mine quite short, didn't I? I cut mine into a pixie cut after my surgery because Did you? I basically just had like, I mean, again, the looks that I uh, we had and <laughs> had to go through, but I, <laughs> I just had a few wispy bits left. And, it, you know, when you're just like, why am I holding on to these tiny little strands? Yeah. Like, mm. it's got to go. Yeah. Um, but the, the psychologically for my kids, like my daughter doesn't think I ever lost my hair. So I think it did help a little bit, even yeah. though yeah. maybe it would have been more empowering, I sometimes think, to just get rid of it all, mm-hmm. considering. Yeah, I do know what you mean. When mm. you, I guess when you visibly started to look poorly, how do people react to you? Well, it was hard because I started to because my cancer was not incredibly aggressive. It was grade two, it's three grades. Grade three is very aggressive. Grade one is not so. I was two, so I was somewhere in the middle. Um, so I had my mastectomy first and then I had chemo. So my chemo didn't start until the November of 2020, which is just as we were going back into another lockdown. And so I didn't really see people. I didn't need to see people, which for me was good because I didn't need to worry about how I looked so much. I also didn't get FOMO. People don't <laughs> yes. But it did also mean that, you know, my parents, for example, would the only, my mum, they obviously found it an incredibly hard time because they couldn't help us. They couldn't come in the house. Um, they couldn't do anything. And so my mum, once, once a week, she'd arrive at the doorstep with food for the whole week. Um, meals that she'd made and I often think back and how I must have looked every week opening that door just looking sicker and sicker less hair bloated face like I look back at some of those photos now and I think you looks pretty bad um, and I think for them that must have been really really hard to see that gradual progressive yeah. week and yeah. also I imagine it was essential that both of you didn't pick up COVID you didn't pick up no, anything because your immunity yeah. is absolutely bust to yeah. pieces yeah. isn't it at that point so it would be more like your mum probably was desperate to rip that door down and go and be there to nurse you but you couldn't afford to contract anything at that point yeah exactly mm-hmm. and then I mean eight weeks after I was diagnosed my dad was dad was diagnosed with a type of blood cancer so he's very high risk as well so we just had all these high risk people that we were like just need to all just stay apart for a little bit, uh, which was hard, to be honest. You, you had a mastectomy. Um, you had a double or a single? I had a single. Um, I had uh, my right breast removed. Um, I asked to have both removed. Uh, that was possibly the first thing I said after I was diagnosed. I was like, just take them both. I don't want them. Just yeah. go, get rid. And they were like, well, actually, let's just calm down a minute. You don't need to have the other one removed let's check thoroughly that there's nothing there but medically it's totally unnecessary um so I just had a single mastectomy and I had um the surgery that Carly had was not available during that time because of COVID um and so I had a temporary expander put in which is like an implant that they expand over the next sort of few months by injecting saline into it so that it wow. gradually stretches the skin. So um, I've got very wonky boobs, but if with a bra on, they look 
pretty similar. Yeah. And, I'm on a, and I'm on a waiting list now to have the Dieppe flap operation that Carly had, which is where they take some of your um, tissue from your stomach to create a new boob. I mean, it's my wow. I call them my tummy tits. <laughs> <laughs> How does it feel going in for an operation like that? I mean, Zoe mentioned, you know, losing your hair. You feel like you're, you're losing some of your femininity. But like with your boobs, I guess, is it the same? Or are you just like, oh, my God, just get just get rid? Yeah, I think when I was diagnosed, I was just like, whatever you need to do, just do it. You go into that headspace of just please just keep me alive like, that's all I care about. And I don't know, for me, I had to have a double mastectomy because of carrying the BRCA1 gene mutation. But yes. I know what Joe's talking about because my mum didn't have that. Um, she, you know, she had different, her, hers was hormone fed. We had such different diagnosis, but um, she did have a lumpectomy. And I think, again, psychologically, I was like, well, I just want them both off regardless of if I've got the BRCA or not. I just want them both off because I don't want to ever have to think about breast cancer again. I mean, it doesn't really work like that. But um, I, so beforehand, I did feel, I, I've also had my ovaries out in January. So I feel like when we talk about female, you know, feeling feminine and stuff like that, I, I feel like I'm just this surgically menopausal woman with no breast tissue now. You know, it does, it, it, oh, it, can, it can leave you feeling quite like low in confidence and stuff. But I think the way I approached it was I really like honored both my breasts and my ovaries and I wrote them letters and I really like, I, I remember with my boobs, I was like, I wrote this whole thing like bye bye boobs, like really kind of being grateful to them for like all those teenage years of, you know, stuffing Marlboro light packs down the bra and you know, all that <laughs> stuff, like all that thing of just being like, oh God, I really wanted breasts. Like when I was a teenager, oh. and then I breastfed my kids and that came with all, you know, yeah. all its own dramas and stuff. And it, so I really wanted to like say farewell to them, I guess, and almost like embrace this new stage. Um, and I think the the thoughts of everything came way after, way after yeah. when I had to deal with the fact that, you know, I'd had this big operation. I think when you're in, I think with anything, when you're in it, you just do it. Like I, I think back, I can't believe that I was, I went through it by myself and I woke up by myself and was in, you know, all of this stuff. You, you just, you just do it. You just get on with it. And it's only after. Carly, you mentioned the BRCA1 mutation gene yeah. now we've spoken about this on the podcast before and we've actually had my cousin's been on okay. Claire Kiesel who's got the BRCA2 gene she's a speech and development therapist in ch for children she and her sister her older sister Jane ha they discovered they had the BRCA2 they had to have the double mastectomy yeah. so what's do we know what the difference is between the BRCA1 and the BRCA2 ultimately BRCA stands for breast cancer gene which we all have and the people that have the gene mutation it's just not working quite as well as it should so your your heightened um risk of getting ovarian and breast cancer is is quite significant. Um, I think it's just a matter of like different percentages for BRCA1 and BRCA2. Okay. Um, I think for BRCA1, it's less, it affects men a lot less, but the your risk of getting ovarian and breast is higher, I think, than BRCA2. But again, it's very marginal. Um, BRCA2 maybe affects men a bit differently. So for me, when I found out, um, I... I really, I sobbed. I sobbed the day I found out because I just, I, I thought of my daughter. Um, yeah. I don't know if she has it. And I, and again, I didn't really think of my son because I knew BRCA1 
does yes if he carries it it can then impact his children but again I said this this is laying dormant probably because my dad had it from his dad's side so there just wasn't a lot of young ovarian and breast it was wasn't picked up so yeah I I, and I actually um I'm starting a support group at Future Dreams House just for BRCA1 and BRCA2 because I I know myself that I just try and put it to the back of my head because what can we do now? She's she's only what six now, so we've got you know. There's a lot of conversations that will come yes. with both my children, but for now, I don't have to think about it. But it's always there, and it weighs quite heavily. Quite heavily, yeah. yeah. And obviously, yeah. if there is a history of breast cancer, you know, to anyone that's listening in the family, it's absolutely key as soon as possible. You know, because yeah. some of those conversations aren't had. Yeah. You know, it's uh, all they are had, but then they're kind of maybe forgotten about or just kind of dismissed. But you absolutely need to go and get those markers tested, don't you? I think sometimes you don't want your head to go to those places, do you? And you almost just like block it out because you want to like just be positive and not and not think about it. Just before I guess we get on to like things to look out for and stuff like that for our listeners. I just want to take you back. What was looking back? What was the hardest part? of the whole experience for you both? Uh, For me, um, the hardest part is that lockdown happened at the same time. And I know a lot of people did have well-meaning intentions to be like, you know, you're not missing out on much or anything like that. But I had both my children at home and I couldn't shield them from any of the horrors of cancer. They saw, you know, the fatigue, the just just the general unwellness that comes with it. Um, And... I think that was by far the hardest and trying to homeschool during chemo and oh my god Carly. Yeah, yeah that is is traumatic just going through it a lot a lot of it alone I think we really mm. we I feel yeah. for anyone that had any cancer diagnosis during that time I think you really missed out I'm I go I'm quite big in in the community in terms of like connecting with people and I go to a lot of events and they are giving me such a source of like connection that was so missing during that time Mm. yeah and I guess like you say for your children to see so much of what you went through whereas they would have been on play dates or they would have been at school or nursery and had that escape yeah that people could have offered and did you know for the first few weeks it's all gone it's all gone literally Mm. you know people should not should obviously but it could friends family members they could take them they could you you know all of that is just out the window it's lost Mm. yeah yeah we found it isolating as in I didn't find it isolating me but as in like our little family of five we felt quite isolated you know like Carly was saying you're homeschooling your my husband was trying to work um I was trying to work I worked in between my chemo sessions for some of it um just to try and keep a little bit of me really um and yeah we did, we felt like a, it it made us it made us closer in some ways because we really became a firm family of five this is us against the world um but we it was quite isolating there's no time to really forget you're going through cancer i think as well no, no distractions because yeah like you're not doing the fun stuff that that could have mm. come with the the good days you're kind of just really immersed in it and the big big question how are you both now? Yeah, I'm good. I'm well. Like I said, I'm just waiting for the last piece of the puzzle, which is my proper full reconstruction. Um, and then fit medically, that's it. I'm fine. Um, I get seen wow. in theory once a year um, with a mammogram and an ultrasound. But I guess 
once you've had that breast cancer diagnosis, it doesn't really, well, for me yet, it, it doesn't go away. Um, I've, there's always something that comes up that you're like, oh, what is that? So then you have to go back to the hospital, get rechecked, you know, and going through the NHS at the moment is hard. It's really understaffed. It's really under-resourced. I feel like I have to advocate for myself a lot. That can be hard. Um, And so while medically my cancer's gone, I feel like every six months, another pain, another lump, something will happen. And then you're right back in it. We're calling the office, trying to say, when can I, when can I be seen? Um, and chasing people down. And, you know, it's, it can be a bit draining. And then you get your results back and it's all clear. And then back you go on your way. And then yeah. six months later, you know, I don't know if that will change. And it's because I'm so, you know, it's so it happened quite recently. Maybe that will change by the time I get to year five, year six. I don't know. There's something quite magical in that number five, isn't there? Well, there definitely is for anyone with triple negative breast cancer. I think that, again, this is one of the um, differences. For triple negative, if it's going to come back, it comes back quickly because it's very, very aggressive. For now, I, I am absolutely fine too, I should add. And like had my one year clear scans in February of this year. Um, so yeah, so one and a half at the minute. Amazing. Recently had a scare like Joe's talking about. So know that recently I also had a, a clear ultrasound. So again, massive relief. Yay. I just had a, <laughs> a bit of fat deposit, which I guess can happen with tummy fat. They said it can, you, you can get these kind of bumps. But, um, but yeah, if you get to five years post-treatment with triple negative, in theory, you're kind of really out of the woods. Whereas I don't know, I'll, I'll use Olivia Newton-John as an example because obviously oh, gosh, so in the press. Her, her cancer came back a lot later, I think, with hormonal breast cancer. Yeah. You can, the, the five years doesn't really make as much of a difference. It's, you've got to, okay. you've got to stay vigilant and know that, know that knowing the signs and symptoms of primary is obviously important, but also yeah. secondary. Really well, let's come on to that. Let's come yeah. on to that. Because obviously yeah. with Breast Cancer Awareness Month, we've yes. got to talk about yes. Copperfield. Yeah. And you need to now tell us exactly what we should be doing. So I want to hear about signs, symptoms, how often we should be checking. And let's let's go. Let's talk. Let's talk touching boobs. Oh, well, I do. I do try and um, share on the first of the month, like always on, on my social media reminding people to check. So I kind of, I'm going to forget now some of the signs and symptoms. The main thing is it doesn't always present as a lump. For me, there was no lump you could feel by hand. It was only the swelling in my armpit. Um, But it's, the main, I think the main, main message is anything different to your normal. So by yeah. checking once a month, and they do recommend, I think, that it to be like a week after your period. So I remind people on the first of the month, that's kind of big thing, like check, reminding everyone to check on the first of the month. But if you're on your period, like check, you know, later so that you've, you're always checking at the same time, roughly. So you're looking for any changes, whether that's change in size, shape, any skin texture changes. I remember my mum, when she found out she bent down and her skin puckered where her lump was. Um, so it's like, it can look a bit like, like an orange peeler. Like, yeah, exactly. And any of that changes really like around the nipple area as well. So any, um, oozing or uh, any rashes or any crusting or um, any discharge, anything like that around your nipple, get that checked out. Um, so it's rare, but I think there can be like rashes, any, you know, 
looking for that um, pain, unusual pain yes. um, that goes up. Because I thought pain wasn't a symptom, but actually it, it can it be. Is. And so I think it's just that, like anything that is different to your usual and your normal, go to a GP immediately. Um, yeah. And Get and you're both off to the Sahara. It's very exciting. Um, once a year, Copperfield do an international trip, um, a trek that with Giovanna Fletcher and Carly and I are both doing it this year. And it's um, 100 kilometers across the Sahara Desert. Go girls! And are you, are you like raising money, are you being sponsored, anything yeah. like that we can direct people to? Yeah, yeah. yeah we've, both, um, we've both set up just giving pages. Um, yeah, trying to raise money, but also trying to raise awareness of you know Copperfield yeah. and the great work that they do we can pop we 100% in the show notes and yeah. Copperfield we need to give a special mention and shout out to them what an incredible charity That's they really. are I mean they had me dressed up as a giant boom <laughs> running around Covent Garden asking people if they knew the signs and symptoms what's it and it was just it was one of the best days of my life yeah. I always thought oh, I was a massive tit and then I actually yeah. was today um, but it's, it's obviously not just for awareness they also provide you know support emotional support all of that I mean it's it's a one-stop shop isn't it it's a um, an incredible incredible charity and the the work they're doing especially with younger women because i think it, there's this misconception that breast cancer is an older women disease and you know even for myself i thought because my mum was 50 um i think she was 54 when she was diagnosed and her mum was kind of early 50s i thought okay right. well maybe i'll get breast cancer but it will be in my 50s like even i had that and then i was 37 i know women who were God. young 20s 22 23 like they're getting mm. diagnosed so it is so so important mm. that this breast checking message reaches younger younger women and men and men we should add because men, yes. men can get breast yeah. cancer too yeah. so like going into schools and universities and that is i think what copperfield does so incredibly yeah. like just getting people to check from a young age that becomes a, the norm yeah well, okay just before we go we usually ask um you know for product advice and um, advice that you'd give to a new parent but I think what I want to ask you both is how has this experience changed your sort of life perspective great question George I would say this has made me so grateful for my life like I have, I I'm feel so blessed every day that hashtag blessed, but I do feel really lucky. You know, I have a great family, great friends, a job I love. And, you know, it makes me grateful that I managed to survive breast cancer and that I get to do this, yeah. um, that I still get to be here really and get to see my kids grow up because that is, that was the biggest fear of all. Great. Carly? Yeah, I would say, um, exactly the same as Joe. It's just, it, it's changed, it's changed me as a person in every sense of the word, I would say. Like, I think I embrace things so much more. I'm so much more aware of like, I always I say like the small things, it's just the small things, you know, the, I, I'll be in tears just kind of dropping my kids off at of school because it's that knowledge yeah. of like, I get to do this. I'm here. Like, so many people aren't, and that is never far, I think, from Joe, something called survivorship. Um, we have survived it, and we're here, and every little moment, even the really difficult stuff, you're like, I'm here to, I'm here to do this, okay? Yeah. So today's a difficult day, but I'm here. Um, and I think, mm. again, for me, I've got 
it's changed so much. My body's changed and I am so grateful to my body and it, it healed a lot of things there. And I think you just, yeah, you're just so appreciative of what, what, what we as humans can go through and do and survive and yeah get to tell the tale well we are so grateful we can't tell you ladies for coming on and being so honest thank you for answering all of our questions I feel like both of us wanted to howl throughout the whole thing but um it's such a beautiful space to be in because actually we need to know the knowledge and we need to know how to check we need to know what to look out for and and yeah we couldn't have asked for two better people to do it so thank you so much for coming on ladies and men husbands partners brothers that are listening to this in the kitchen uh check your boobs check your boobs check your pecs check yourself <laughs> thank you so much for having us lots oh, of love ladies so thank you good luck for the track <laughs> oh my goodness sobbing i know oh, i know i know but actually it in a weird way it's quite a positive chat like I felt really you know I felt like I went along the journey with them but they mm. seem to be really not matter of fact but but you know very positive and just I guess in those situations that sort of adrenaline takes over doesn't it and you just mm. focus on what you've got to do and it's just a lot I, I just mm. I kept I've, I keep putting myself in their position you know like thinking about what I would do if I was driving home having just had that news like almost driving back into this new life and then having to tell your children and it's it's yeah. a lot but it happens to so many people when Joe said that you know she had to do the majority of her treat I think Carly did the first um, she had the first three months before she went into lockdown, but Joe did her entirety of her cancer treatment, mm. you know, during COVID when nobody could come in with her. And she was having to sit there, you know, with the cap on, thinking about her hair loss. And it was just, yeah, it's a very, very, very stark, real look at what cancer looks like. And mm. yeah, it's, it's, it's as you said, Georgia, frightening, full on, but with a positive spin at the end of this one, because both the girls are doing really well. And, exactly. um, you know, as I said at the top of the podcast, Georgia and I just want to say the biggest thank you. Yeah. Um, please, please, please drop us a DM, drop them a DM. I'm sure they'd love to hear from you because it takes quite a lot of courage to come on and talk about it in, you know, with that level of honesty. Exactly. And they are both raising money for Copperfield. Yep. They're going on the yep. trek. So head to their Instagram accounts and I'm sure they'll have links to their Just Giving pages. Um, definitely do support them. Um, exactly. And yeah, thank you so much for joining. Yes. Um, and as always, we would love you to rate, review, subscribe and give the podcast a little follow. Then you will never miss an episode. Yeah, please do. And any suggestions for guests you'd like to hear from, topics you'd like us to cover, our DMs are always open. We're at Made by Mamas on Instagram and we'll be back on Friday. Made by Mamas is an insanity podcast production and today's episode was produced by the lovely Charlotte Mason. Insanity Group. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. 
Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. <laughs> 